Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Today, I'd like to label my sermon title with these words, Touched by an Angel. Touched by an Angel. That's the title of a TV show that aired for nine seasons. That is nine years consecutively in a row. We are told that it began in the 90s and ended in the early 2000s. Not a bad show by any way, shape, or form, but a show that I believe that might have given a misunderstanding about angelic beings in our world. And today, I just want to pull back the curtain today and share with you what the Bible says about angels. I want you to understand this, that many of the characters throughout Scripture experienced dealings with angels. We read about that man by the name of Daniel. And one prophecy preacher has said that in order to really understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand the book of Daniel. Because Daniel came first, before the book of Revelation. And so in the Old Testament, we, we read Daniel, and we think that Daniel's book is like the revelation of the Old Testament. And so in order to understand all the events of end times Bible prophecy, you have to understand the content in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 10, we read about how Daniel received a vision. And this vision, it was not just a, an ordinary dream or just, just a, 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 little, a, a little vision that was just taken lightheartedly. This vision shook Daniel to the core. And it was on the ground. And the Bible says that God sent an angel and that angel touched Daniel two times. And in the midst of that chapter, we read about how this angel was helped by Michael, the archangel, in a war against the prince of Persia. So literally, we know that Daniel was touched by an angel. We know the word angel can also mean messenger. As you study the Bible, you might come across this question, what are angels? And I wrote down this, angels are spiritual beings created by God to minister to him and to do his bidding. In other words, God created angels to do two things. Number one, to worship him. We sang that song this morning, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That is a, a, a sentence that the angelic beings in the book of Revelation are declaring to God in eternity. And even right now, perhaps. And then they also do special service to God. They, as you can study the Bible, we're not, don't have time does not allow us all the times where God sent angelic beings to do service for him. But just really briefly, as we kind of introduce all this stuff, I want you to know that, that angels in this context were created by God. And in the Old Testament, remember, Paul is, well, the writer of Hebrews, most likely Paul, um, is writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and in, this, in this discourse about angels, in this, the last part of the chapter, bleeding into chapter 2, we know that his audience is mainly Jewish believers. And Jewish people, most of them, believed in angelic beings, and they had a high regard for angels because angels were, were created 
really high in God's whole, whole scheme of creation, but we know that we were the beings created in the image of God. And so angelic beings, you have cherubims at the top, then you have seraphims, and then you have what's called living creatures or every other angelic being that we see and read about in the Bible. We read about how angels had, had uh, there was some sort of a hierarchy system. So Michael is the archangel. He is the protector of Israel, the Bible talks about. And then you had angels underneath them. Michael, Gabriel, and one other angelic being that we'll get to is the only ones mentioned by name. Every time you read about angels in the Bible, and when you, when you study the words about angel, it's written in a masculine form. There's only one passage in the book of Zechariah that has been a little bit debated, but the Bible doesn't specifically say that these two women who had wings were an angels. It doesn't say they were angels, so we, we, I tend to believe that they were not angelic beings. But I want you to know this, that angels are not male and female like we are male and female. Just because they're written in a masculine form in the Bible and their names are masculine does not mean that they were, in a sense, men like I'm a man today. Each of their times when they came into existence and intermingled on God's behalf to man, they looked like men. Most of them didn't have wings, didn't have halos. The only ones that have, that have the wings are the seraphims and the cherubims, the Bible talks about. Now, with all that in mind, I bring up this point, that even as, as such a great creation that God made these angelic beings, Isaiah saw the seraphim. And we read about the cherubims in the Garden of Eden protecting that place. As amazing and powerful as these beings are, they do not compare to Jesus Christ. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, these angels, they're amazing creatures that God made, but they do not compare to the awe of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is better, always has been, always will be better than angelic beings. So why is Jesus better than angels is my question for us today. So I wrote down five specific reasons why angels are better, or excuse me, why Jesus is better than angels. Five reasons, and I want to share with you from this passage today. Look at verses four and five. In these first two verses of our text, it's interesting. The Bible begins, uh, before we read the Bible, I'm going to share the first point today. It's this, Jesus is better than angels because his name is exceptional. Jesus is better than angels because his name is exceptional. Michael's name is mentioned. Gabriel's name is mentioned. Michael is mentioned in the Bible in the book of Daniel three times, in the book of Jude, and in the book of Revelation chapter 12. Gabriel is mentioned in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9, Luke chapter 1 about Zachariah's vision, and then in Luke chapter 1 when Mary had a message from God that she would give birth to the Son of God. These names are high in the list of names, but they do not compare to the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus' name is the greatest name that it was ever made and ever given among men. The Old Testament looks to the Messiah coming, and Jesus, when he was born there by Mary in the, in the, in the little town Bethlehem, we read about how his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us, and also his name would be Jesus. In verse number two, four, the Bible says being made. This word made has, has, has opened up a lot of discussion among scholars. And they'll ask the question that everybody's asking. Who made God? Well, nobody made God because as this passage, this whole chapter talks about God is eternal. This, this passage reveals to us, as Galatians says, how he was made of a woman 
under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Here, the Bible is just revealing that God in the form of his son came and became a human being so that he could die on the cross for our sins. And so there really is no debate here about the deity of Christ because in verse 8, as we'll talk about, it reveals Jesus is God. But here it says, being made. Jesus was never created, but he was born into existence as a human being like you and me. And that's all it's being revealed here in verse 4. It says he was being made so much better than angels. And in, I believe that right here in this verse, the, the, the psalmist in mind is Psalm number 8. And, and also in correlation to uh, chapter 2 and verse 9, the writer of Hebrews is looking back into the book of Psalms. And he's reading about how, how this man, this son of God, this son of man, as the Bible says sometimes, he is made so much better than angels, but he took on the form of humanity. So and at some point, he was made lower in rank as the angels. And then he goes in to say, say, as he hath by inheritance obtain a more excellent name than they. In verse number five, it says, for unto which of the angels, these angelic beings, said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. God has many sons and daughters, but only one begotten son, and that is Jesus of the Holy Spirit and Mary. And he goes on to say, and again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. As I shared with you last week, when Jesus said that God was his father, it made him equal with God. And so here in this passage, we see that, that the writer of Hebrews in verse four, he's looking back at Psalm number eight and verse number five, he's quoting two passages of scripture, Psalm two and second Samuel number seven. And in context here, we know that Jesus name is the greatest name in all the earth. He is the second Adam. As Adam's life in Genesis in the garden portrayed a new Adam that would one day and come as Adam kind of um, bore the sins of Eve in a sense, the new Adam would come and bear all of our sins on the cross. We read about how Jesus is, his, one of his names is, is the advocate. He is the go-between between God and man. He is almighty. The, the writer of Revelation says that he is alpha and the omega. He is the amen. Every time we say amen, we're declaring an agreement that Jesus is the amen name. He is the anointed one. He is the arm of the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, the author of eternal salvation. He is the beginning and the ending, the beloved son, the blessed and only potentate. He is the branch. He is the bread of life. He is the captain of salvation. He is the chief shepherd. He is Christ. He is the Christ of God. He is the consolation of Israel. He is the cornerstone. He is the counselor, the creator, the day spring, our deliverer. He is the desire of the nations. He is the door as he said he was in the gospel of John. He is the everlasting father as the writer, as Isaiah penned back many years ago. He is the faithful witness. He is the first and the last. He always has been, always will be, always and ever shall be. He is the first begotten. He is God. He is the God of gods. He is the good shepherd. He is our governor. He is our great high priest. He is the head of the church. He is the holy one. I know sometimes pastors and deacons think they're the head of the church. But hey, church, listen. Jesus is the head, not me or any of you. Jesus is the head. He is the Holy One. And not just the Holy One, but the Holy One of Israel. He is the horn of salvation. He is the I Am. He is Emmanuel. He is the intercessor. He is Jehovah. 
His name is Jesus. He is Jesus of Nazareth. Let me pause right here. Nazareth. When we think of somebody who is very prestigious, very powerful, very, very amazing and has a great destined future, you know, we don't think of somebody from Nazareth. Nobody was taking their honeymoon in Nazareth and nobody surely was vacationing there. It was a, it was a city where people would stop and fuel up for gas and move on. But he was from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Humble beginnings, but magnificent God. He's the just one, as Pilate said. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of the Jews. And he is the king of kings. He is the lawgiver. He is the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He is the leader and commander. He is life. He is the light of the world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is Lord. He is the Lord of lords. He is the man of sorrows. He is our mediator, the messenger of the covenant, Messiah, mighty one, morning star, Nazarene, only begotten son, prince of peace, prophet, provider, redeemer, resurrection and the life, the rock of ages. He's the rose of Sharon. He is the savior, shepherd, son of God, son of the highest, true light, true vine. He is the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He is the greatest witness. He is our wonderful counselor and mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, as the writer of Isaiah said, word, he is the word of God. And listen, he's the only God and his name is Jesus. His name is greater than my name, your name, and every name ever has been and ever will be. Why is he better than angels? Because he has a better name. And that name is Jesus. It's interesting. The Bible says in Philippians that it's not the name of Michael, the archangel. It's not the name of Gabriel who came and spoke the message that, that Mary would give birth to Jesus. It's not at that name every knee is going to bow. It's at the name of Jesus. The second thought I want to share with you is from verse 6. Why is Jesus better than angels? Well, first of all, because his name is exceptional. But I wrote down secondly, Jesus is better than angels because his, his being is worshipful. Jesus is better than angels because his being is worshipful. So there's a third angelic being. That's name is mentioned in the Bible. This one was a cherub, cherubim. As Brother Andrews has, has really kind of shared with us over the past several weeks and even this morning in the Sunday school hour, Lucifer was a created angelic being that God made. The Bible says that before he sinned, he was created completely by God and perfectly. The Bible says he was very skilled. He was a leader. He had the charisma, if you will, to be a great leader. The Bible says that he was wise. The Bible says he was a magnificent musician. Very, very talented and gifted individual angelic being. But the Bible also says he was very beautiful. And the Bible says that because of his beauty, that because he was wise, because he was a skilled musician, and because he was a leader, the Bible says he was lifted up with pride. The Bible says in the book of uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, in fact, that he comes as an angel of light. And really the whole purpose of Satan is to rob God of his worship. But as we read in verse number six, I want you to know this. The Bible says, let all the angels of God worship him. Only Jesus is worth our worship. Amen. Revelation chapter 22, we see John is looking into the future and he, he kneels and he begins to worship an angelic being. 
And that angelic being said, hey, I am not God. Don't worship me. But Satan wants that worship. And in fact, in Colossians, the Bible talks about how the church of Colossae, they were being tempted and beguiled and tricked and fooled into worshiping angels to receive a special gift. It's like, you know, today we have all these televangelists and they say, hey, if you sow a financial seed of $1,000, we'll send you this prayer shawl and God is going to make you rich. <laughs> That'd be great if you really were made rich through that. But, but we know that that's, that's a fraud. It's fake. Now, does God want us to give? Absolutely, he wants to give. Does God want us to pray? Absolutely, he wants us to pray. But, but in a sense, these people in the Church of Colossae were trying to trick people into worshiping angels and they, would, they, they claim that they'd get a reward. No angel is worth our worship. Satan himself is not worth our worship. Verses 7, 8, and 9. I wrote down a third thought today. I wrote on this. Jesus is better than angels, not just because... He, his being is worshipful and his name is exceptional. But I wrote down thirdly, Jesus is better than the angels because his nature is incomparable. Jesus is better than angels because his nature is incomparable. In this verse, we see in verse number seven, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 104. In verses eight and nine, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm, 40, Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. And then he also has in mind Isaiah 61. God's nature is completely perfect in every way, shape, or form. There's some days that I really wish I was perfect, but I'm not. And I know there's days you might wish you were perfect, but we know you're not. We are not perfect. At some point in our lives, we're going to mess up in our thought life. We're going to mess up in the words that flow out of our mouth. Or we're going to do something that's just going to, you know, get us in a, in a big mess. But God's nature is incomparable to your nature and my nature. Although we're made in the image of God, we are not God. Only God is God and there is none else as we talked about. But look at verse number seven. The Bible speaks about how he made these angelic beings. And then in verse number eight, it says, Unto the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God. So here the writer of Hebrews declares that Jesus, the Son of God, is Almighty God. And he goes on to say, It's forever and ever a scepter. Say scepter with me. Scepter. Say it again. Scepter. A scepter is kind of like a nice fancy rod that a king, a ruler has in his hand. And so when, when Jesus hammers down his scepter. He's hammering down holiness and righteousness and judgment in his kingdom. And if, and if somebody says, I am not going to bow to your rule and reign, I'm not going to keep your word and your law, he sends his judgment upon them. And here the Bible says that God loves righteousness and he hates sin or iniquity. I like what Brother Andrews has been teaching us. If you weren't able to come to the Tuesday morning Bible studies, I'm going to let you in on a truth that he revealed. Here's what he said. He said, what God hates, excuse me, what God loves, the devil hates. And in like manner, what God hates, the devil loves. And so God loves all of us. And as a result, Satan hates us. 
God loves righteousness. He hates sin. Satan loves sin and hates righteousness. That's why Satan is doing his mighty deeds in our world today. And he has is, he is cha- transformed a society who 50 years ago, really 25 years ago maybe, that what was wrong then is now right now. And was right then is now wrong today. Satan has crafted ways that sound eloquent. Remember, he's very wise. He's very beautiful. And people want to follow his leadership, but he is not God. And listen, only Jesus is God. He is better because his nature is incomparable. There's nobody, listen, there's nobody who compares to God. And there's no religious system that compares to this one, Jesus. Why is he better? It's a better name. He can be worshipped. His nature. But now let me share this with you. As I read verses 10 through 12, I wrote down this forethought. Jesus is better than angels because his character is immutable. Jesus is better than angels because his character is immutable. In other words, God's character does not change. He is the unchanging God. His plans, His ways, His word, His will is unchanging. Everything about God is settled. The writer of Hebrews right here, he has in mind in these next few verses, Psalm 104 uh, excuse me, uh, really, excuse me, not Psalm 104, but Psalm 102. He's literally quoting verbatim from it. But I, I want to draw your attention to verse 10. I want to read this verse. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hand. So a few times in this passage, is, it, it, the Bible talks about in this chapter about how God is the creator. And so I've been holding back a little bit each time, just kind of didn't want to unload the whole truck on you. So, so I want to share this with you. The word science in our English Bible, occurs one time, and that is in um, the book of Timothy, chapter 6. It says, science falsely so-called. To, to simply define science it, it, with one word, it means knowledge. But to define it a little bit deeper, it is knowledge that can be, knowledge that is observable, measurable, and repeatable. The origin of man, by that definition, by any definition of science, is not scientific. And I know you're throwing your rotten bananas at me by me saying that. I believe in science. I love science. But hear me out now. Science is knowledge that's observable, testable, measurable, and repeatable. Were you there when God created the world? No. Was I there? No. Was anybody there? No. Only God was there. So we can't observe creation or origins, whatever you believe about the origin of mankind. Is it measurable or testable? Does that mean we can go back into time and test it all, get all the stats and all the data? Can we get that? No. Now, I mean, unless, unless you guys are holding something back, that you got a time machine in your backyard... <laughs> And if you do, I want, I want to get involved in that. But no, 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 we don't have that. And then here it is now. Check it out. Now, here's the other one. Repeatable. Is creation, origins, repeatable? No. 
Doesn't matter how brilliant you are. Doesn't matter how many PhDs you might have. Doesn't matter how long you've been in the laboratory experimenting and testing and observing. You cannot repeat the process of creation. So by that definition, origins, no matter if you believe in the Big Bang many billions of years ago or in the, the creation account of Genesis, it is not scientific. Because you weren't there, you can't test it, and you can't repeat it. So now I know you're, the question you're asking, well, then how do you know what happened? I'm glad you asked. Because we have an eyewitness account. And that eyewitness account was the one who observed creation, was the one who declared creation to be existed, and is the only one who could repeat it if he wanted to. And that is God. The eyewitness account of the book of Genesis reveals to us that God is the creator. And here the writer of Hebrews, I believe he has in mind creation. He does. He says that God, this Lord, and he, notice he says Lord here. And this is referring to God the Son. So God the Son spoke the world into existence. He laid the foundations. And then it says in verse number 11, they shall perish, but thou remainest speaking about how God is eternal. And he has no beginning, has no ending. And then he goes on to say, they shall wax old as does a garment. Have you ever, um, have you ever been to one of the yard sales here? You know, uh, sometimes people bring some great treasures and sometimes people donate you know, stuff that to me is not the greatest treasure. And sometimes we bring our old raggedy clothes and I've done it myself. Okay. So I'm talking about myself here. I'm not talking about any of you because you bring the nicest things you got. Okay. But I would bring my, my, my raggedy old clothes that I don't really need anymore. I don't wear. And those clothes after a while, what happens? They go, they fade, they get bad. They, they begin to need some repair work. But the Bible says here that this world is going to wax old like a garment and you're going to fold it up and it will be changed. But check it out now. This whole, this, these three verses talk about how God is the creator, how God is eternal, and how God is immutable. That is, he does not change. And then check it out now where I want to emphasize. It says that, that as a vesture shalt thou fold them up and they shall be changed. But thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. Later on in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is always the same. He does not change. And now check it out now. The last thought I want to share with you is from verses 13 and 14. So far, we've looked at four reasons why Jesus is better than angels. How his name is exceptional. His being is worshipful. His nature is incomparable. His character is immutable. He cannot change, and he never will change. But then check it out now. In verses 13 and 14, I wrote down the fifth and final thought. Jesus is better than angels because his sovereignty is immeasurable. Jesus is better than angels because his sovereignty is immeasurable. Here in these two verses, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 110. And he says, quote verbatim, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. He, the Bible says here, but to which of the angels did he ever say that to? Didn't say it to any angels. Not Lucifer. Not Michael, not Gabriel, not any other. And he says, verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? For them who shall be heirs of salvation? God's sovereignty is immeasurable. Listen, God is sovereignly ruling and reigning in your life. He really is. Whether you want to accept that or not. God is sovereignly ruling and reigning in the United States of America, in the state of Virginia, in every state, and the whole country. 
You may not want to admit that sometimes by what's being said on CNN or Fox News. You may not want to admit that, but God is sovereignly at rule reigning right now. And not just here, all over the world and in the entire universe. And then he is going to sovereignly rule right here. The Bible talks about how the, this earth is going to wax old as a garment and there's going to be a new earth made and a new heavens made. You see, angelic beings were very important in the life of the Jewish person. They, they esteemed them very highly. But they do not compare to Jesus. In closing, I want to share with you one of my favorite messages from an angelic being. If you go and, and you read Matthew chapter 28, you'll read about how Jesus has risen from the grave. And the Bible talks about some angelic beings were there at the gravesite, And they said these words, he is not here because he is risen. The greatest message any angel has ever said, as far as I'm concerned, is that Jesus is risen or has risen from the grave. And then in Acts chapter 1, we read about how these two men, I believe most likely they were angelic beings, but the Bible just says two men. So I guess it's my speculation because they were they, they had a lot of they were shining in their garments and they, it was just the descriptions like an angel. But but anyways, it says there that this same Jesus who went up is going to come back down. And then the last verse I want to share with you is important. Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. And really the first thing he had to say. Was I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the gospel of Christ unto another gospel? Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. Daniel was touched by an angel. But I want to be touched by the Son of God. He is better because his sovereignty is immeasurable, his character is immutable, his nature is incomparable. His being is worshipful and His name is exceptional. Jesus Christ is the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church.
Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.